Sponsored by Expressway. With My Expressway, free travel pass holders can reserve their seats online at expressway.ie or at our ticket machines in stations. In 1981, I became golf correspondent of the Irish Times, and that uh, led me into a serious interest in the game of golf and those involved. A leading figure in Ireland at the time was Harry Bradshaw, so inevitably I, I, we crossed paths. I did get a golf lesson from him in Port Marnock. As usual in these things, when a journalist meets sports person, there's talk about uh, projects like books or recordings of some description. Because Harry's son, Harry Jr., happened to be a, a sound recordist with RTE, I had this idea that we do uh, a special project on Harry. Now, Harry was obviously going to be telling me a lot of different stories about different times in his career, and. Um, it was fairly clear that we would need some form of linkage um, to tie one segment with another. So Neil Tobin struck me as an obvious man for this particular job and um, I approached Neil and uh, as a keen golfer, apart from being a great artist, yeah, he was happy to help and we did the job. The idea was we would have a sort of a fireside chat because Harry, Harry Bradshaw, the Brad, as he, of course he was known, was essentially a storyteller and uh, no better format in which to exploit that than in a fireside chat. We then had people, we needed people to prompt Harry about his more famous stories. And uh, Harry set the tapes rolling and that was it. You never actually met Jack Nicholas until 1988 when you went to Muirfield Village with the presentation from the Lord Mayor of Dublin. Yeah, that's true. Um, I met him on the steps of the clubhouse and uh, I said, Jack, this is the first time I shook a great golfer's hand and he looked at me and said, surely not, Harry. I said, yes, it's true. I never shook your hand before, Jack. But you also took the uh, opportunity of visiting the shrine, what has become the shrine, for all Delgany men like yourself, surely. You went to see where Eamon Darcy uh, distinguished himself and covered himself in glory, didn't you? Yes, <clears throat> two committee men brought me to the last screen. I said I wanted to see this put at Eamon Darcy hold on the last screen. I said, we only kind of a few hundred yards from one another in this little village of Delgany. And uh, they brought me out anyway, and I, this putty hold, it was some putty. Um, now, television doesn't give you through picture of it, but the slope on it was fantastic, and the green was so fast. And if he hadn't missed that putt, 
he'd have went eight to nine feet past. Yeah, but he didn't. And <laughs> he didn't. It was, it was, it's the best part, I think, of his, his lifetime. He'll always remember it. But your, your meeting with Nicholas was, I suppose, a historic one in a way, belated though it was. But I think, at least I have gathered from your conversation, that although people of my generation would regard Nicholas as the greatest, that uh, to you, probably Ben Hogan was. Well, in, in, in my time, I thought Ben Hogan was the, the greatest golfer of all time, the best ball controller I ever looked at. But a lot of people today say Jack Nicklaus is the greatest golfer ever. He won more major tournaments than anybody. And I suppose you'd have to give him number one. Well, you've seen Nicklaus play very often. How often did you see... Um did you see Hogan play? I, I followed Hogan. I missed the cut 1953 in the British Open and I missed the cut by one. And Mick Ferguson and myself, he missed it by two. So I said, I'll follow this man, Hogan. I read so much about him and all of that. And, of course, in those days, um, you had to play two rounds the last day. And I couldn't believe me eyes that a man could hit the ball at the target like him. And did he go straight for it every time? Every straight time, every shot. It wasn't five feet to the right of the target or five feet left. Yeah. It was always straight on the target, maybe six or eight feet short or beyond. But well, he was never wide at the target. Because that's a very interesting uh, contrast to Nicholas, whom I heard say that he never went straight for the flag, that he always came from either left or right because he didn't think it was possible to go straight for the flag yes. at all times. Well, it, that's, the, that's the year he was hitting every iron shot so straight at the stick, you know. He was like a machine. I couldn't believe it. And, you know, if he had, say, he had 10 putts now from about... 14 feet, he only hold one, even less 12 feet, he only hold one over 12. Mm. And uh, his iron play was so good, I couldn't believe it. And he won it by four shots in the end. But I said to the late Bobby Locke afterwards, if I had to put it for that man, I'd have won it with 10 or 12 shots for him. And I remember Bobby saying, oh, he hold a lot of great putts. But I said, I followed him the last 36 holes, Bob. And he didn't hold any great putts. He knocked his second so close, you know. And um, then he came back, he won the British Open 1953, and then he came back to England in uh, 1956, and he won the Canada Cup at Wentworth with Sam Sneed. So he only played twice in England, and he won twice, and I think that speaks for itself. He only played twice in all in England? He played twice, that's all he played yeah. in England, and won the twice he came over. Yeah. 1953 and, and 56. Some people have a reputation, I mean... Um, well, Hogan, for instance, has had a reputation of being rude. Was he rude? No, he wasn't rude. Now, mm. playing with Hogan... Well, he wouldn't be you, rude to you. You could, knock, play, you could knock second shots in a yard from the hole and he'd never say great shots. Mm. You could hold putts in 20 feet and he'd never say great putt. He was so lapped up in his own game, his concentration, uh, that he, he never noticed you. He knew you that you were playing with him. But he did, I don't think the man saw you playing a shot even. He, he was relaxed, but he didn't talk much. All these yeah. great golfers, you know, why I think they're great players like a Hogan and Cotton and all these men. They, their concentration is fantastic, you know. And I've played a lot now with Bobby Locke and Peter Thompson. And it's an education to play with these men. You see, they stand on the tee, you see, yeah. and they're figuring out their brain is working overtime, 
and uh, just say, right, we're going to knock that ball. It's a much easier second shot from the left-hand side than the right, and they'll knock it left, then they have the easy shot into the green. And this happened at every hole, bar the short holes. That was a straightforward shot. You mentioned that they didn't talk much. Where does that leave, say, your... Uh, well, Trevino. a man was telling me a story about uh, Lee Trevino. He followed in a tournament and he's drawn with the great Ben Hogan. And he said, here's two men now with two different personalities. And he said, I'm going to follow him. So Lee comes out of the clubhouse and they're all clapping good old Lee. And two minutes later, Hogan comes out. A long cigarette he always smoked in a white cap. And he never taken his head up watching the ground. And they were clapping, he never looked, walked straight ahead to the first tee. So they're on the first tee, clapping and all to that, and they hit two good drives down the first, and Lee is going yap, yap, yap to the left, and yap, yap, yap to the right, and Hogan's there not saying a word. So they put two five irons on the green and two putters. And on the second tee, um, Hogan said to him, now he said, Lee, cut out this chit chat he said this is a golf tournament not a circus Hogan's around 67 and uh, Lee was around in 76 well now some of the other great people that you well obviously you have to say something about Christy oh Christy and Fred Daly two great yeah. players we go back, uh, back to um, Fred Fred was a wee bit before Christy Fred was a fantastic player Fred Daly and myself were never beaten Ryder Cup. We played exhibitions, all the great players from around the world, and were never beaten once. And I think that's a great record. And Fred, Fred, you're just talking about temperament. Fred went along whistling to himself. Whether he missed a green or he had a little whistle to himself, and he got the green, he went off whistling. And um, we never lost a game. I remember spending four months in South Africa with him. And this fella came up, I always remember his name because we'd taken his money, and that's how I know his name so well. And his name was Wilson, he was a millionaire. And he said to Fred, and he said, we'd like to take you on, you see. And Fred said, all right, so when do you want to play? He said, oh, there's a wee snag in it, he said. So Fred said, what's the snag? So he said, I'm scratch, a one handicap, a two handicap, and a three handicap. And you have to play our better ball. And that's... That threw a different light on it. Fred looked at this chap, and he had a friend there from the north of Ireland, mm. a chap named George Doak. He used to be a member of um, Balmoral. Fred knew him well, and he was out there living. And Fred looked at George, and George just said to him, Fred, do you think would you take him? He said, Harry, myself will take him. He said, make no mistake about it. So he said to this chap, Wilson, what do you want? 200 pounds. He said, off we go anyway. And I never forget it. After nine holes were uh, two down, and he went into these little huts to have in these countries. You get tea or drink or coffee or whatever. So I we went in there and I said, Fred, we've got to turn on the heat to second nine. We're two down. So the tenth was a power four. It was a tough power four. And I hit a good drive down for me. And I hit um, a three iron onto the green, hold the pass, won the hole, back to one. So the next hole, it's the longest golf hole I ever played in my life, was 675 yards. And Fred said to me, he said, get it down the middle. He said, get the second down the middle, he said. And Fred Fred was a huge hitter when he wanted it. You know, he had 50 yards up his sleeve when he wanted to pull on it. And he hit this drive down the fairway. 
and I hit a, a two wood I was nowhere near the green put the turn down the green and Fred said I'm going for this green with the drive and he hit the driver onto the heart of the green 675 yards and it, it, the amateur was looking at you know, as much to say, this is a Superman. And we won that hole. So we came to the um, 17 for Old Square, and I won the 17th with um, a Bardi, put his one up. And I remember the last hole was a great finishing hole, 215 yards, with a big lake on the left of the green. We hit the green with a bit of pull, you never see your, you wouldn't see our ball again. So I played a four-arm, and it just went to the side of the green, just dropped off into a grass hollow. Fred played... Um, I think he played a five iron, and he put it at 20 feet above the flag, you see. So Wilson, the scratch man, he played, and he was in the same spot as I, the balls was lying two feet from one another. And um, the uh, two handicap played, and he put it in the water, and the other chap put it in the little valley. We're not far from the hole now, we're only about eight yards from the hole. You know, just Wilson wasn't a big hit, but my God, he was deadly around the greens. And the last man hit the three handicap leaves the two feet from the hole and here they were smiling this game is square we're lucky to get out and the elbows were working overtime into one another's ribs you know going <laughs> along you see and um, I chipped up nearly hold us and this Wilson fella actually hit the hole jumped up and stayed out the other chap he was left at short two feet now it's Fred's turn Fred had 16 waggles in the one yeah, and he hit the ball sharply. Came down the hill, hits the back of the hole, bump up, and falls back into the hole. And uh, he said to the chap, "Had to put a two feet. I'll give you that." He said, "Thank you very much." He said, "Of course, there's no use to him." Yeah. So he, this Wilson wasn't too happy about it. You see. Yeah. So we came into the clubhouse, and um, he handed um, this George Doak the two hundred pounds. He said, "We will play next Wednesday." Then he said, and. Uh, we hummed and hawed. George Doak had the two hundred pounds in his hand, and, he, and uh, Fred said to me, "What do you think, Brad? Well, we'll play the next Wednesday." I said, "If we lose," I said, "they're only getting their own money back." Mm. And we played them the next uh, Wednesday, and we beat them one up again. Now, one of the names that's most associated with you, Harry, is obviously Christy O'Connor. After the Ryder Cup uh, in Muirfield Village. Uh, uh, Angel Gallardo, if that's what you call him, the, the man who was uh, Jacqueline's assistant, said that um, he would compare Christy to Seve around the greens with uh, Seve sort of shading it, you know, being yeah. the better of the two. But that he would consider that uh, O'Connor's forward recoveries from the rough were probably the best of all time. Well, Christy... Um when he was in Ruffin, any other profession being in Ruffin, take a seven hour and get it back on the fairway. And uh, Christy was like Seve. Christy would whip out the um, four wood and he'd put it on the green and he wouldn't bat an, an eye lead, you know? Mm. And Seve was the same. Travelling with Expressway and your free travel pass is made easier with a reserved seat. When booking journeys at expressway.ie, Make sure to select Seat Only Reservation Free Travel Scheme and pay just €2 Euro per trip to guarantee your seat. Bookings can also be made from ticket machines in stations and priority boarding will be given to those who book in advance. Travel without a booking is still more than welcome, if you prefer, provided we have space on board. Take it easy with your free travel pass and expressway.ie. 
Think you're not smart enough to own a smartphone? Well, think again and think Doro. Doro phones are designed specially with the older person in mind. They're easy to use with louder sound and larger text. Plus numerous state-of-the-art features that don't compromise on performance or quality. To learn more about the full range of high-tech Doro phones, visit doro.ie. Doro phones, make friends with innovation. If you're enjoying this podcast, why not subscribe to Senior Times, the magazine and website for people who don't act their age. Or maybe you have a loved one or a friend who you know would love to read more. You can buy a subscription and have the magazine delivered direct to their door. To subscribe to Senior Times, visit the website at seniortimes.ie and like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash senior times. Then when it came to the green, to my mind, Seve was the best up and down, as they call it now, yeah. in the world. And he could play any shot, the high, the low. Now, Christy could play that shot into the pin with him from off the green over sand dunes or bunkers. Christy could play them. But where Seve, I'd say, had it over Christy, he never missed the pass. But Christy, Christy was an outstanding Outstanding player. He was a great win player. My God, give him a two iron against the wind or a driver off the bare lie in the fairway. You know, I don't think there was any player in the world that could equal a two iron against the wind or a driver against the wind. Yeah. What would you say was his great, um, his greatest strength? And if and if he had one, what was his great weakness? Because uh, sometimes well, if, when somebody overcomes a weakness, it becomes a strength. His great weakness was he wasn't so good in that putt from five to seven feet, yeah. you know. But against that, he'd say he'd missed maybe a five for her on the first screen. He comes to the second and he holds a 25 for her. Then he goes on a few holes there and he misses one from five feet. And the next he'd hold a 30 for her. And that kept them together, you see. And Christie didn't seem to mind. He'd missed maybe four putts of five feet or maybe just under or just over and he missed four that length and he came in with 67, 68 and he didn't seem to mind. He came in very cheerful about it and he seemed to me that he went out, I'm going to miss a few putts but I'm going to hold a few 20 yards and 25. Well, now, a lot of people would put you as among the greatest of putters anyway, especially Irish people, but you yourself regarded um, Locke as probably the greatest putter. Well, Bobby Locke was the the best putter in the world. There's no doubt. Even today, they couldn't putt like this man. And what amazed me about Bobby Locke was he could put in slow greens, he could put in medium green and he can put on very fast greens. Now I, I was no good on slow greens and um, I used to love fast green but Bobby Locke, he could put on any green whether it was slow, medium or fast and he was the greatest putter in the world. The Americans claim that he was the best in the world, Sarah's and all these old American pros. Tommy Arm said he was the best in the world. And Bobby often said to me, um, he said, Harry, you're the best putter in the world. Not a smile on his face, you know. And I say, Bobby, is there much green in that eye? Maybe <laughs> it's all in that eye. I said, you know you're the greatest putter in the world. And he go off with his sneer then. And he was the greatest putter. Did he have a very special style of putting? Did he strike? Well, it, was it about, he had a special... Did he wrap it in? Did he coax it No, he it had in? a special way of putting. I don't think anyone could 
imitate Bobby Lock. Everything went in on the right. He used to hook the ball into the hole. Everything came just yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. You'd never see Bobby Lock getting in the left-hand side. Every putt come in from uh, the right-hand side. And anyone that's ever played will tell you that. Every putt came in. Whereas if your, your putt hit, hit the, come on from the right, hit the side of the hole and spin out my putt or anyone else. But yeah. his putt always dived in. Yeah. He, he brought it in from right to left. And I don't think anyone, he put thousands and thousands of hours in it, his father told me. I met his father when I was out there in South Africa. He was born in uh, Belfast on the Lisburn Road, just below the uh, King's Hall. And he was a great old character, you know. And they used to be kidding me all the time when I'd be playing tournaments there. Mm. And he said, hey, that was a great score you had. I'd be in with 71, and I said, Mr. Locke, if I had the putt, it'd have been about four less. You see, now he says to me, I, I was looking at you holding a nice one at the fourth. When I said, it's the only one I hold then, you see. And this was on for about four times, and we're playing in the championship. I finished second to Bobby in the South African Open. And... Um, I came in with seven. I said, if I could have passed, I might have been two or three better, you see. Now, he said, this particular round, it was the last round of the year, I saw you holding a nice one at the eight. And I went back on the eight, you see. I didn't check on the other, you see. It was a parafoil. I remember hitting the drive and the two wood in on the green. Knocked us up 14 inches from the hole, marked the ball. And I knocked us in. And this is the putt he was talking about, 14 inches. And I said, Mr. Locke, I'm entitled to hold from 14 inches, surely, and he went off with his snigger. He was getting us up for me all the time. Yeah. But this particular round, I checked on it. You know? yeah. Well, there's one other man whom you have said was almost as good, as probably just second to, to Hogan, that's Peter Thompson. Why? Peter Thompson, I remember playing. He was a great player. He won the Open. You know, between... Henry Cotton and Bobby Lock, uh, late Bobby Lock and Peter Thompson, they won the British Open 12 times between. Thompson won the five times, Bobby four and um, Henry three times. But I played in the Yorkshire Evening News uh, uh, just outside of Leeds. Sam Moore's the name, of course, and the power was 72. And we're all, the leaders off last. And there was a young fellow from South Africa who was the third in the party, Wilkes. And I'm watching Peter Thompson all the way around, you know. And it was a great education to play with these. To stand on their tee and they mind to be walking over to now I've got to be there, you see. And if Thompson knocked it left, I knocked it left after him. And it was an easier shot in. But anyway, um, going into the last round was a question who was going to be second. And um, we started out, of course, you had to play two rounds in those days, the last day. The first was a power four, the, a power five, the second was a power four, and the third was a power five. And um, I hit a drive and a two wood on to the um, first screen, hold us up the hill for an eagle. And the second was a power four, and I hit it with a big clump of trees on the right. And the caddy said, get to the left edge of the tree then. It was a plateau green, you see. And you couldn't see the ball once it landed. And I hit the tree, hit the stick. And the big gallery shows behind it. You're in the hole. So I get another E. I hold it out with an iron iron. So that was the second E, like. So we walked across the big highway to the third. And there was a big dip in front of the green. And... Um, I had driven it to wood just in on the green. 
and I had a hell of a long putt and I knocked it up a yard right hit the pin marked it knocked, uh, right hit the hole knocked it in for uh, a four so I've started Eagle Eagle Bardia Thompson finished uh, he started five four five par and we're standing on the next day I'm waiting for the fellas to play their second shot and he looks over his left shoulder like that said nothing you know, and he's as much as to say that's the last you've seen of me, you see. And he birdied the next six holes. So at the end of the day, he finished two six four. I think it was the lowest score ever. And I don't know anyone that had lower score. And he, for four rounds, he was two six four. You break that down as four sixty sixes. And I came next with two seven nine second. And Christy O'Connor and P. Herales are in leading the field all oh, for a couple of hours. And they were 280, so I just pipped uh, Christie and uh, Peter Alice for second place. I got 500, and, and Peter Thompson got a thousand pounds. But uh, I never saw golf like it. A winning margin of what? 15 shots, was it? He won't be 15 shots. Did he? Was I it? was yeah, 15 yeah. shots behind. That's that's a big margin to be behind, you know. Yeah. And I said it after, when I shook his hand, I said, that's wonderful score. And the, and the Open was um, 10 days later at St. Andrews. And uh, I said, Peter, you keep that up, you'll win the Open. And Locke won the Open that year, beaten by a shot or two. Two shots, I think he beat. Now, I want to talk, uh, I want to ask you a couple of questions about amateurs. Uh, for instance, uh, you have a great affection for Joe Brown and a great regard for him. Why Joe exactly? Brown, yeah. Yeah, what was so special about Joe Brown? Well, he had a lovely round swing, and I remember playing at Wharf at the Wharf at last. to still carry on, and it's just a true story. And he rings me. It was on the Saturday. He rings me up on the Monday. He said, "Will you play with me?" I had an open four ball on the Saturday, and he rings me up and he says, um, "Harry, will play in the four ball with me?" And I said, "What chance have we?" I said, "I am playing off a plus three, and you're scratch." I said, "What?" He said, "I found out you were playing off a scratch." You see. So anyway, um, I said, what chance have we got two scratchmen, you see? He said, will you play with me? I said, I'll play out of what? Uh, I said, what time? Half past two. So I went down there to stop with some friends on the way down and I was out on the course there at eight o'clock Saturday morning. On the first green, I always remember, and trying out the green, had about four balls there, power four to start with. And this chap comes down and says, a lovely morning, Harry, and all to that, you see. And um, chatting away there for five minutes, and he said to me, would you play in the four ball? And I said, I'm sorry, I'm playing with Joe Brown at half past two, you see. So he said, you can play as many times you like, you see. And I said, uh, are you certain? Well, he said, I should know I'm on the committee. You see, I said, that's all right. I pick up the four ball, the bag, and off we go back. And we picked up two fellas in the club, as off we go anyway, and we're both six up after nine holes, you see. And um, we finished six up, and the chaps with us finished nine up, you see. And um, I said, that's home and dry to myself. And this chap had won the Lord Mayor's Cup, a chap named Jackson, an English chap. And he, he had a partner from Cork with him, four handicap. And... Um, the eight there is a short hole as one, and he stand there, and I introduced Joe to him, you see, 
And I said, Joe, just, I played this man this morning, finished nine up him and his partner. And I said, he's home with the right. No chance, Joe, no chance like that. You see, and I looked at, well, I said, as far as you were concerned, he's every chance. Well, for this uh, Englishman, well, he said, there's nine ups on the board and you guys have to be. I'm telling you, there's no chance. And Joe's like this, um, so there's eight of short holes, I said, and Joe takes out six iron, he leaves a one yard in the hole and knocks it in. We won, this is true, we won the 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th, 16th, 17th and 18th. We won every hole in, 11 holes on the throat, and we're three up on top of that. 14 up we were. I told you, said, Joe, I, I knew what, he said, I was only getting into first gear when I heard this fella saying, it's on the board, he said, for you guys to be. He said, when he said that, he said, I'm off. <laughs> yeah, that now that's really something to win eleven holes. And now we had, we're both playing off scratch. It meant that we had eleven birdies between us. Yeah, hole after hole. On top of that, we're three up, fourteen up. Well, that answers the question about Joe Brown very fully. Well, he, he was a great player. And he won the East of Ireland, the, the South of Ireland many a time, you know. And he was a great player. But near the end, he just lost his nerve, you know. What about Jimmy Bruin? Now, we all know that Jimmy Bruin was, was a great golfer. We know about the, the loop at the top of yeah. the swing and so on, and that he was a prodigiously long hitter. Um, but can you give us a few examples of how long he was on specific holes? Well, I used to play twice a month no with... more specific man than yourself. I used to play twice a month with Jimmy uh, on a Wednesday, and then he'd come in and have a bite to lunch, and uh, he used to play with... Cassidy's at George, the owner of the big stores there, you know, playing the afternoon with And I've played with him when he's drove. The, when I say this to young fellas, they just smile and they do this, you know, he's, he's bonkers, you know, mm. keep doing. And I, I've played with Jimmy Brown when he's been on the first green there with his tee shot five or six feet in on the green. He's drove the second green, the left hand side of the, the bank. And then the third tee, we'd be standing. He said, Harry, would you please go up on that bank, see is there anyone on the uh, fifth green mm. in case they don't get this ball up quick enough? Mm. And he used to go over the fifth green for the tower, land somewhere near the bunker and down onto the green. Mm. Now, I don't say he drove the green every time. He used to be in that bunker the first very often. Well, yeah, he wouldn't, I wouldn't on, even on believe the, you if you said left. that. Yeah. And the same at second <laughs> and the third. Now... Putting for two, and I don't think there's any golfer in the world. You know, the drive that was with Joe Carr was a big hair. Joe yeah. drove the 14th, and that was history. Yeah. So you have the hand of the those two men, you know. Joe was number one, Bruin number two, you know. And they were great players. There's no better. In Glen Eagles, I remember playing in the Pro-Am there. With Joe, we were the back markers, Joe, we had to give shots to everybody, and Joe was plus two, you see, and the pros were level, and we're playing against four and five handicaps. And um, this particular year, we uh, played Christy O'Connor and Dr. Brady. Christy was pro at Bundorden at this time, and we had to give them four shots. And we knocked us out in 35, and I think they're one up after nine. And um, we came to the 18th, we're one up, and it's a par five, you see. And so Christy played a forward onto the green. And I wasn't along here by no means. And Joe was so long with his irons, he played a five iron. And it hit the top of the green, rolled all the way back. Now, with the last game out, you see, and all, a couple of thousand around the green, wondering how this game is going on. 
and Joe, Joe was putting away three iron at this time. So Christie's partner had knocked him up um, 15 yards. It's a huge green, 15 yards to the left of the stick. And I had just put a 45 yards, you see. And I am walking along the line, you know, and I had my fingers crossed and my knees crossed. I'd leave it 10 or 12 inches from the hole from 40. Because Joe from four feet with this iron, the ball, the three iron, the ball used to leap off. He was great if he had a 20 for her. But a, a four or five for her or six, the ball used to go off with a leap, you know, it wouldn't keep the line. And Joe was walking along, he bent down on his knees and he said, Brad, leave just so many inches from the hole, you know me. With the three I said, get away from me, Joe, you see, the gallery is loud. I said, I've enough on me plate, don't listen to you. Will you please get away from me? So I went up and looked into the hole, came back, had to practice me, knocked it up this big slope and it kept running, running, running and hit the hole and dropped in. And Chris is this 15 yards at that. Of course, we were one up going there for the knee. And Christy showed down the green. You said, you needed that old man. He knocks it in from 15 yards. And we beat them one up. Now, we were out in 35, I said, and we're back in 30 at Glen Eagles, and we beat them one up. Of course, we had to give them four shots. And that's some golf back in 30 at Glen Eagles. Mm. And he wanted us play there. As I tell you, great score. But and we won it that year, Joe and, and uh, Misaro. You seem to remember every shot, not only you've ever played, but everybody else you've ever seen has played. You don't make any of this up, do you? I mean, it's all... <laughs> well, I can remember every shot. And I, if, I, I remember playing in Thunderbird, 1953, and there was Americans there about four years ago, and they said they were members of Thunderbird. I said, your best hole at Thunderbird is the eight. And he scratched his head. Yes, he said. Do you remember? How long ago was that? It's 1955 I played that. And you remember, the eight is the best hole. It's a hell of a par four. I said, yeah. And you remembered that hole. I said, I certainly do. And your last hole is a par five. And your first hole is a four. And he tried to catch me out, and I knew everyone. I just, I could play once. You know perfectly well, you know, the model. Yeah. I was only pulling your leg, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but I could play over a course once, and I'd know every hole 20 years later. Well, thank you very, very much, Harry. You, I'll tell you this, you talk as good a game of golf as you ever played. Thanks a lot. Sponsored by Expressway. With My Expressway, free travel pass holders can reserve their seats online at expressway.ie or at our ticket machines in stations.